Hey guys, it's time for Nina's Got Good News. Nina's a former TV news gal who used to share all the news. Now, as a mom and small businesswoman, she wants to share only the good stuff. It's time to brighten your day. So here's your host, Nina B. Clark. Hi, everyone. How are you? Oh, my gosh. If you guys could see us now, we are like dancing in the studio. We're so excited to be back for another episode with you guys. And we just want to say first and foremost how awesome you guys are. You're spreading so much goodness out there in the world, and you've come to the right place. Every single week, we are sharing good news. This movement is growing every week with a new episode. And today, we have a very special guest. I'm here at Quinnipiac University for another edition of Nina's Got Good News. And today, it's podcast number 36, and we have such an awesome guest I'm so excited to share him with you guys today. He's surely going to get you guys all inspired, and he's going to get all of your creative juices flowing, as well as your entrepreneurial juices flowing. He's an abstract expressionist and now also a motivational speaker, and I'm also proud to call him my friend. Joining me from Colorado today is artist Will Day. Welcome to the podcast, my friend Will Day. How are you, Will? I couldn't be happier. It's a wonderful day here. A lot of snow and cold in Boulder, but just it's colorful and bright in my studio. Oh, of course. It's always bright and sunny in your studio, right? I think you need Will's Got Good News. It's It should be like, you should do the Boulder edition of Nina's Got Good News because you're. I love watching all your posts and everything you're up to. Tell us a little bit about yourself, Will, because you are such a great guy. Everyone needs to know about you. Well, I mean, that's very kind of you. Um I am a abstract painter, and uh, I've been doing this about uh, ten years full time. So I didn't always start out being a painting painter. It's a long story, but you know, I guess my whole thing is about trying to find and uncover your own greatness and um, find your own calling in life. And so, I never wanted to be a painter. I wanted to be part of the world, and obviously support a family, make money, and inspire people. But I guess painting sort of was my calling, and I did not act on it for a long time. And here I am, painting full-time in my lovely Boulder studio. So that's it in a nutshell. Well, so yeah, you didn't set out to be an artist, obviously. So how did you even get interested in art? I know you grew up on the East Coast. We're here in Connecticut. You grew up in Connecticut. Then you went to boarding school. Shout out to our boarding school friends. You went to Cushing Academy. Then we went to college together at Ohio Wesleyan University, did you have an interest in art in boarding school at Cushing or then again at Ohio Wesleyan in college? Where did this even start? I, I mean, of course, that's a great question. I, it did start in high school. There's no question about it. I mean, it, all, it started earlier, but I think the answer is that we're all creative spirits in this universe. For me, I didn't know creativity meant being a painter or a fine artist. So, yes, my kind of career started or was sparked in high school at Cushing Academy with uh, our teacher, Bob Johnson, who was just amazing and certainly inspired not only me, but so many other art students. And I think what was really awesome about that experience of um, learning how to let go, but also learning how to let creativity kind of guide you in your life and find ways to really be inspired. And I never knew that actually could turn into a profession or um, a long-term career. So, yeah, Cushing was instrumental in learning how to kind of trust your instincts and paint and um, start working from your heart and get away from your head. 
And then college kind of came around, and I did take, you know, a first my freshman year, I took some two classes in art, and that's about it. But uh, I was certainly distracted by other things at school that I didn't have the time or passion to really focus on art and creativity. So, um, yeah, it's a long journey. But, yeah, school certainly was a wonderful place for me, to a testing ground, to kind of say, hey, listen, I want to be creative, but I don't know how to act on it until later on in life where a lot of things changed. And next thing you know, um, I was being hit over the head with so many different things to wake me up to become an artist. So you're on this journey. You first start out working in Wall Street. Then you move over to advertising. And so how did you sort of, you weren't happy in any of those jobs. So how did you kind of overcome those challenging times to sort of get this passion out of you and pull it out of you? How did that even happen? Well, I, I, I love that question because it's not like I'd never wanted it to happen, you know. And I think the, the thing that really struck me was that I was taking all these experiences and trying to make the best out of it without knowing that actually it was a creative spirit and I wanted to be a full-time artist. I mean, yes, I worked in Wall Street for Bloomberg. That was an amazing experience. Taught me how to, you know, about the capital markets. It also taught me how to be creative with people and deals and, and understand um, finance. But I knew in the back of my heart I was, I was more visual. And so I, got to, I had to embrace all these kind of, as they call, challenges or disruptions in life, you know, because... I think I went in, I always try to go in any type of job and go full speed ahead and make the best of it. So if that's me working in um, or being in the Peace Corps, which kind of was really my awakening to my creative spirit, because you are alone and being and living in a place that's unknown, that you're very vulnerable. I think vulnerability really put me in a place to be creative in every one of my experiences from Wall Street to Sahara Desert to now working my studio. And I think that's really was the core and the thread is trying to find this creativity and the chaos that exists around us. And each of those kind of moments allowed me to find something to move um, from place to place. You talk a lot about being, you know, sort of unhappy and depressed in, in those jobs, whether it was, you know, on Wall Street or then it was in advertising. So how did you kind of overcome all those feelings? Well, I didn't want to, you know, Nina. I mean, I was, like, living in a way that I didn't want to rock the boat. And I was just doing what I thought I needed to do to get by. And then I wasn't really, I guess, embracing the world around me. So, yeah, that, that caused a lot of concern and sometimes depression. So how did I get through all that? I think I got through that with my family, my wife, Amy, who was very supportive of kind of my... Uh, my impulsive behavior. Um, and I don't know, I think it takes a lot of courage to kind of wake up and say, I'm going to turn the ship around and do something different. And so it doesn't just happen overnight. All these experiences, I, you know, I, I had a lot of failures in my jobs and it was very, it was very depressing, but the ultimate goal was I didn't want to give up. So, you know, you hear that a lot. But everybody has their own calling, and I think the most important thing is you need to be around people that obviously believe in you. I don't care if it's your wife, your husband, your friend, your brother, whatever. But I think for me, it was about learning how to say, you know what, I need, I need help. I need to. I'm not doing what I'm meant to do, and I love this 
quote from one of my favorite authors, Joseph Campbell. He's like, the privilege of a lifetime is being who you are. Well, I wasn't being who I was. And I know I was running into, you know, brick walls and not finding the clarity and the chaos that existed inside. So I guess the answer to that is, you know, learn how to let go, reach out, ask for help, and um, don't be afraid. So what happened then? You had some oils, you had a canvas, and you were just (laughs) going to kind of do this as a hobby? So you start painting and you realize that this is what you really love to do. Did a light bulb go off? Was it that was it that clear to you that this was your I mean, calling? I think yes. I mean, I think the goal for any, you know, any one of us is to kind of find that clarity and find that light bulb that you're inspired to wake up every day. I did not want to be a painter, but you know, yes, I remember when I was working as an architect at Gensler in uh, Los Angeles. I had this incredible urge after working on a job site in downtown LA to go and buy a canvas. And I was like, wow, okay. I just, I, I needed to start using my hands and I needed to start getting, um, I think more physical with creativity and figure out how to find my creativity again. So I bought this canvas at, you know, a local art store and then just, I tacked it and, and, pasted it up right to my back of my garage, bought some oils, and literally started painting after work. And my wife's like, what is going on? I'm like, I don't know. She's like, are you having a nervous breakdown? I'm like, honey, I don't know, but I need to do this. And she's like, well, we got we got kids. We got to feed the kids. Come in, change the diapers. I'm like, I got pain everywhere. Honey, I can't do this. I need to, I need to have some joy. She's like, joy is get your ass in here and start helping. Oh, my gosh. Amy, we love you even more now, Amy. We love you so much. All right, keep going. I'm dying right now. No, I mean, it's just, it is that it's impulsive. You know, I have ADHD, so I'm a very impulsive person. And, you know, I think the whole point is to, you know, everybody's got to find their own kind of creativity and they got to find their own journey. You know, this was very impulsive. My wife's like, what is happening? So Amy's like, okay, I don't understand this. I like this nine to five job. I like this paycheck you're getting. I'm like, you know what? I'm starting to break loose here. I'm starting to feel good. So there was a huge shift in our relationship, which caused amazing amount of tension and, um, and fear. So, you know, I didn't mean to do it. It was just something that was in me, and it was so extreme because I've been holding back this spirit for so long. I had to let it go. And having a wife who totally supported me and loved me kind of allowed me to do that. But she was like, "Um, red flags are going off. This is not working for me, so let's talk. Oh my gosh! I I need to have I need to have a cocktail with Amy and get the <laughs> get the real get the real side yeah. of her story on this. But so let's <laughs> let's keep it real here. Yeah. How? Because everyone's going to want to know this. How did you pay the bills in the beginning? Like, how were you able to do that? Well, I mean, Amy was working at the time. We just had two kids, Spencer and Abby. They were both born in Los Angeles. So, um, during the pregnancy, she she obviously took time off, but she was working. So. I'm not misleading anybody. You know, Amy definitely supported our lifestyle. I mean, we had a lifestyle that we created together. And then I was like, you know, I was working too. Don't get me wrong. This is, I haven't committed yet to be like, hey, I'm really crazy. Now I'm going to be a full-time artist, honey. How do you like me now? She's like, I don't like you at all. This is ridiculous. So um, I think, you know, the ultimate goal is really finding this communication between your partners. 
So, yeah, was Amy bummed and pissed that she had to go back to work um, in a way eventually? But the true story is, you know, I was working full time and then I was painting on the side. And then from Los Angeles, our kids were born and she was obviously raising her kids. And then we decided as a team, family, to move to Boulder, Colorado. That's when things got hairy. And that's where the, <laughs> the shift and disruption of her life totally changed. And our relationship changed because of all these new things that were happening. So you get to Boulder, though, and you you decided with the with your art that you were going to enter like a local art show, a local art fair, and you realized then that people would actually buy your stuff, right? Is that sort of how it all kind of started from the from your Boulder journey? I think so, one hundred percent. I mean, remember this is two thousand and eight, so the economy, the world was changing, and so. I was working in Boulder, transferred from L.A. to Boulder to work as a, um, an art or an a architect. And then I was working as a consultant. 2008 hit, and then I lose my job, like a lot of people. And then I was like, hey, honey, guess what? I'm going to be an artist. She's like, that is the worst decision you can ever make. Why would you ever want to be an artist in our worst economy we've ever experienced? She's like, okay, we really need to go to the divorce court. I'm like, honey, what are you talking about? This is going to be great. She's like, total paranoid, fear. We need a, we need someone to help. Anyway, I'm painting the picture pretty rosy, but it was very depressing. And so that was the time period where I said, I don't have a job. And I went into my dungeon of my basement and started painting that Amy had to go back to work full time and support us. And um, with two young kids, you know, I wasn't looking like the hottest, sexy guy ever. She's like, you need to figure this out. We are not connecting. So anyway, I mean, we're laughing now, but it was just, it was not pleasant. And again, I didn't mean to put her in that situation. It was like, it was one of those things that just kept happening. And I was like, I need to answer the call. We all need to answer our own call, not only responsibility of what you want to do in this world and what you're actually made to do. I know. I always think there are always signs out there that are pointing us all in a certain direction, right? And you have to, like you said, answer those calls and follow those signs because they are there for a reason. So how did you grow your art business from a startup? You were a startup artist. You know, you're a startup artist. And then you grow it into this successful art business that you have today. Like, how did you even do that? Because so many people you know, say they want to be an artist and they just struggle. And, you know, you're, you're one of those that sort of broke through and had all, you've had so much success. Well, I appreciate that. I mean, I think there is, how do we, how do I say this? We all have our own expectations, you know, as being an artist. I, yeah, I, I am an artist, but I'm also, um, I'm running my own business. And I think the biggest challenge was to figure out how to sustain this. You know, I needed cash and revenue. You know, I could just sit here in my basement and just paint um, and and figure out, oh, this would be great. You know, so the answer to your question, I sort of put together a team of five executive individuals that sort of said, Will, you're going to have to look at this as a business right now. What is it that you need? And I said, I need recurring revenue because my wife's back to work panicked. And I am just sitting there in the basement painting, and she's like, this is the worst thing ever. So what I did was I put together sort of a team of uh, board members, 
of five of them, and they all kind of sat down with me and said, "Hey, Will, what's happening?" And I said, "I need to. I want to be an artist, and I need money, and I need to grow my business, and I need to build product." So they came up with this idea: Why don't you start leasing art to corporations and generating revenue, and have them lease your art on a monthly basis? You can build up inventory, and you can also create. Um, recurring revenue on a monthly basis. And so that's what I started to do first. And that kind of gave me confidence and courage to say that people like my art, they they like my story, and I started learning. And it became a practice ground to kind of create my, my genre and my voice. It brought some stability. And I think that's what was needed in our family. Mm-hmm. Well, so if anyone is following you and they're going to be after this episode, um, on all your social media accounts... One of the the big moments for you, probably I would I would imagine one of your biggest was you got picked to create this massive, huge painting for Peyton Manning and the Denver Broncos when he retired. And it is it is such an incredible work of art. I spent so much time looking at it and watching all these videos about the behind the scenes creation of it and I just sort of want to know, like, how did you even get picked for that? Because that was, I feel like that project kind of put you on the map in a way, right? Well, I mean, I think all, they're all unique and different. Here, to answer your question, I mean, I'm not a sports artist. I mean, this is what is so unique. I'm not a figurative painter. You know, I'm a storyteller. I'm, I'm trying to create moments in this world that are timeless and contemporary. And so there was a um, connection with the Denver Broncos and, um, with Mac Freeman, our kids played lacrosse together, and we just happened to be on the sidelines talking about just stuff. And he found out that I was a you know an abstract painter, and he was intrigued. And so we just sort of over a couple of years started talking about an opportunity, an idea that might work for Peyton Manning, and uh, boom, the rest is history. Okay, well, so what was Peyton Manning like in person? Because you got to meet him. You got to actually work with him on this amazing project. So, what was he like? What was he like in person? Because I, I'm a big fan. We all, we yeah. probably all of us are. So, tell us the inside scoop. Well, I mean, it's we did spend a lot of time, and and the best thing I can describe is that Peyton is one of those few individuals that really do connect to the world in every single situation. He um, obviously is very tall, um, and he's just. He's incredibly, um, he was kind, and he was very receptive to putting himself in a very uncomfortable position of saying, okay, what are you going to paint? Um, what's going on here? He's just, he's a, he's a terrific spirit who's obviously very um, motivated and organized, and um, I couldn't be more opposite than him. And I think our conversations were really unique because he was talking about, you know, capturing this incredible moment on the line. Um, about finding his clarity in the chaos, because there's not. I think the thing when you're looking at these these moments in time in sports is it's about movement and energy, and it's about capturing something that's so quick. You know, abstract art does that in a way. So Peyton was a he's an incredible spirit. He's a motivator. He asks a lot of questions. He's a great listener, and he's really funny. I love that. Well, well, you're funny too. So you guys probably bonded over your your being your great sense of humor together. And now it's it's if anyone wants to see the painting, other than you know stalking you on social media, they can they can see it at Mile High Stadium, correct? 
It's in the, um, yes, when you walk in the club level lounge in Mile House Stadium, it's right there. Um, and it's just, it's inspiring and it's fun. I mean, that's like and a pinch me moment. Crazy. And Amy, now now that you have that hanging in the in the stadium, Amy, Amy's now like, yes, we did this. Yes, Amy, good job. All we right, did so, it, honey. I we know. Did you guys are so cute. So let's move on to motivational speaking now because yep. now that you've done all this, right, you're about to deliver your first <laughs> TED Talk, which, by the way, I am so proud to know someone that's about to deliver a TED Talk. That is so cool. So you're doing this TED Talk in Boulder, Colorado coming up. What is the give us the behind the scenes on that? What's the prep been like for that? What goes into something like that? That's that's a really great question again. I mean, a lot goes into that. Everybody who does a TED Talk, it's really incredible how much work and time they put into it. I mean, you have the whole idea is sharing an idea that's creative, innovative, and inspiring. Um, what goes into it, you have to write a lot of different scripts for the actual idea. You know, I'm on my draft, too, right now. And it's, it's so interesting because when you write the idea and you present it, you've got about 12 to 14 minutes to talk. You've got to memorize this. You're not holding on to any, you know, paper. You know, these individuals and speakers are so motivating. They look so natural up there, but it takes many hours behind the scenes to kind of prep because, you know, you have speaking coaches, you have coaches that help you with the script, you've got um, a lot of time to practice and prepare before you actually get on that stage. So there's a lot more than I thought. I'm like, oh, here's my idea. Great, go do it. No, no, no. There are a lot of um, individuals there that are looking at your idea. And also, they would encourage you to kind of nail it. And then you get to meet all the other speakers in the team, and that's fantastic. This is so cool. So did you did you take public speaking courses? This must be, is this in your comfort zone? Is this out of your comfort zone? I think, uh, first of all, I did take one public speaking col- um, class in Ohio Wesleyan, which was fun. And is this out of my comfort zone? It kind of is. You know, I, I did... Um, deliver a commencement speech to Cushing in 2016 to the class of 2016, and that was remarkable. But I had I had a speech written um, and organized. This is you are up on stage and you're telling a story and you don't have your cue cards there. So what's out of my comfort zone is having you know ADHD. I get distracted and I it's hard for me to focus and go through all the ideas in a very clear way. So I have to work a little harder on making sure my point is really connected. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think that's what life's all about. you got to put yourself in these kind of, you know, challenging situations that, you know, make you better and stronger and put you in vulnerable spots that you may not know that you need to learn from. Yeah, I'm learning that. a lot from this. I'm sure you are. My gosh, it's so good. But it, I think it's so important to get out of your comfort zone. That's where you stretch and that's where you grow. So I'm I'm a big fan of that. So we're we're rooting for you on this TED Talk that's coming up in Boulder, Colorado. For anyone that's out in Colorado, look up Will's speech because it's going to be amazing. So what about fear, Will? I feel like it must have been really scary, your journey. You know, we, we laugh a lot about what it was like with Amy and paying the bills. But you were yeah. you were risking a lot by, you know, wanting to become this artist, even though you didn't really set out for that. But you took this risk. I'm sure you were scared. 
So let's talk a little bit about fear. And also, weren't you nervous about putting your work out there? Weren't you kind of afraid? And then how did you kind of overcome, how do you overcome fear like that? Uh, I mean, I think, I mean, right now, you know, I'm working on, a, you know, on the speech. I'm, I've got a lot of fear going on right now. So I'm scared. How do you overcome that, I think, is by continue to, um, you got to trust your own intuition. You got to trust your, you know, your, your calling in life. I think what makes us stronger is really having that fear to kind of drive you to get to move from that place to find your your harmony and your um, and your peace. So, you know, painting every single painting you remember is a struggle struggle about overcoming failure because you're looking at a blank canvas. Our lives are a blank canvas. So, you know, that's part of my TED talk. It's you know, how do you find your creativity in the chaos of life? That's my through line. That's my idea. That is full of fear at every moment of our life. So I think the greatest thing is to kind of get rid of that word and learn to say that no matter what you do, that's always there. What's not there is figuring out how you act, kind of act on your, your intentions to really do something better and challenge yourself. And it doesn't always have to be success. It just has to be something different to move you away from that emotion of fear that, that lingers and holds all of us back. It's time to move from that and move to our hearts. And that's what will change in anybody's life and get rid of fear. Mm. So, Will, do you have any regrets about not doing this earlier? Do you ever think about that? <laughs> like, I wish that I had done started this earlier? Or do you just sort of think this was all part of the journey? I mean, I think for me, it is definitely part of the journey. I wasn't ready to be an artist when I was in my 30s or in college. You know, all these experiences of, you know, all my job experiences have led me to kind of be a painter. And listen, I think for all of us, the message is there are no regrets in life. Your regret in life is actually not... Um, not listening to your own calling and doing what you were created to be. And if you don't, no matter how old you are, that's your regret. You can be 90 and then wake up. You can be nine. It doesn't matter. I think you have to find something that really means something to you. And, you know, everybody asks that question, do you regret not being nervous early? I'm like, you know, I couldn't have handled all this pressure and fear and struggle. Unfortunately, I had to go through this stuff so then I could look back and then my voice could be very clear to kind of um, create in a very spiritual way that is hopefully inspiring and timeless. Mm, that's amazing. Now, what are you now that you're a dad? Well, what are you telling your kids about finding their passion in life? What what advice are you giving your kids? Well, I try to be careful about that because when you got to be careful, it's like find your passion. You know, like remember, I'm yeah, and they're like, oh, oh, you mean like Fortnite? Yeah. <laughs> Fortnite, Dad? I'm rocking Fortnite. I'm like, whoa, that's not passion. I mean. You're you like, know, I was just kidding. You're not going to be a professional gamer. That's not going to work out for you. <laughs> but I mean, I don't want to discourage them out there. I'm just trying I to know. Say, I'm just kidding. I'm with you. And I think, Nina, our biggest challenge is really, you know, our kids develop at all different ages, obviously. Mine are 14 and 12 right now. And their passions are very different from what my expectations are. So as a father, I think, you know, I'm just trying to lead by example. You're trying to lead by example. And I think we can all kind of spark this curiosity of what passion and interest means. But that also includes struggle and failure. 
And so that's kind of part of the message I try to communicate to the kids is that you're not all, I don't want you to get straight A's. I want you to learn how to learn and want you to learn how to fail quickly and move forward. Mm-hmm. What do you think dad does every day? I'm sitting here in front of a blank canvas. I'm scared. It's not like, oh, here's the million dollar painting. Cool. Done. Not. It's like, okay, how do you learn from all these experiences so you actually can be a better example and a better human being? Mm. Your kids must your kids must be um, fun in the studio though. Do they ever do they ever get in there with you and like just go crazy like Jackson Pollock all over the canvas? Uh, me and they used to. Yeah. Now 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 they're teenagers and a, and a, teenagers, and a tweenager. Like, they're like, Dad, what are you doing there? I'm like, Dad, you got a cool office. I mean, look at this place, guys. I know it is I mean, cool, and you always have paint all over you. Well, it's like hilarious. I, your hands, your hair, your clothes. I, mean, I love that. My car, your car. Oh my, my gosh, that's hilarious. My Amy is like, stop. I try to clean up. I gotta like, I got a shower that's outside. So when I get into the house, I'm like, okay, I'm here. Time to get oh all your God. work clothes off. What's oh going gosh. on? And I show up. I'm like, hey, look at me now. You guys are hilarious. You need your own reality show. Well, so how, Will, how as an artist now do you stay motivated? Because you are yeah. alone, right? You're not reporting to anyone. You're your own boss, right? Because you started this business now that you're an entrepreneur and an artist. You have your own business, but you're trying to motivate yourself, I guess, right? So how do you stay motivated like that? That You know what? I love that question. Um I think the motivation comes from the passion to kind of try to be who I'm meant to be. I mean, I have a hunger and drive to live in this world. Painting is very lonely. You know, I'm actually very fortunate. I'm in a very large studio that's part of a bigger cause. And so there are other, they're not just artists here. There are a lot of entrepreneurs or businesses. There's doctors in my space. There are athletes here. That's what motivates me is finding you know, creativity in all different types of businesses. I don't want to be around just painters. I want to be around doers and thinkers. And that's what motivates me to wake up every day when I come to my studio because I sit here as I'm looking at certain paintings and sometimes it's like, I don't know what to do. And then just having a flow of different vibe and energy from people that walk through the studio kind of, it just gets me thinking again. And so I think the motivation also is to figure out ways to support my family and continue to keep painting because I know this has been a great run and I want to do this the rest of my life. So where can people see your work other than Mile High Stadium? Not to brag on not to brag on you, Will, but other than other than in the football stadium, where can people see your work and hopefully purchase your artwork? Uh, Nina, you can find my work throughout the, let's see, mostly it's in my, my Boulder studio, but I have uh, galleries in San Francisco on, online is really the best way, willdayart.com. Um, you know, I definitely invite people here to have studio visits to my studio in Boulder, Colorado. Um, but a lot of it, you know, I do have some public work that people can see, but the truth is it's, everything is really through, um, through word of mouth, um, and it's really, obviously, it's on the computer through, you know, different places that they can see. But, you know, willdayart.com is really a great spot that highlights where my collections are and um, who's obviously invested in my paintings. But 
Um, I, you know, I do things around the country, pop-up shows, and I'll do different events in my studio, but a lot of stuff is really, you know, kind of orchestrated from my Boulder studio. Love that. Well, and you're on Instagram too, so I know you love Instagram, oh. and we do a feature here on the <laughs> podcast about our favorite Instagrammers. I, I always say the gram is my jam. So who are some of, who's like one of your favorite Instagrammers these days so we can all follow them? Yeah, I mean, Instagram is a very important platform for me. I, I you know, it's like I love the visual part of Instagram. The one I really always loved, I mean, people know him. It's the photographer, Peter Lick. He is definitely, I just, you either love him because of his incredible, um, his, his talent but I, I love going to see photographers that really kind of reach a whole different part of the world and have this incredible image and perspective that's so inspiring and very colorful. So, you know, he's definitely one that I always love to look at. And there's plenty of other artists, but I always love to find people that are, you know, motivating and inspiring in their own way. So what I love to do and part of my whole brand strategy and just artist message is really working with the community. And being part of the solution and learning that we all are creative and there's plenty of creativity to go around. You don't have to compete or fight for it. You just have to be yourself. So true, Will. Well, I'm just so grateful that you came on today to be our good news guest. Your journey is incredible. (laughs) And you've inspired all of us. You've got us all thinking. And we're all so proud of you, Will Day. So I just wanted to say a huge thank you. And I'm going to see you in Boulder when I come out to visit my girlfriend, Christine Gardner. And I want to give a big shout out to Amy Day, because without Amy, we wouldn't have this amazing art from Will Day. So Amy, kudos to you. Well, thanks for your time. And it was fun to kind of share these little this little journey. So Appreciate your questions and everything. Oh, good. Okay. And all our friends from Ohio Wesleyan, if they could only see Will now, right? Yeah. Who knew? Anyway, thank you all. Yeah, who knew, Will? Anyway, thank you all for listening. I'm so grateful for all of you. I know that I would never be here without all of you supporting me and inspiring me to be a kinder, better person every single day. Stay tuned for next week's podcast. Remember, you can find me on iTunes. Please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast, too. And remember, the mission of this podcast is to get better together as a community right here in the audio space. For now, I am your host, Nina Clark. Please find me on Instagram and Will Day Art as well. Thank you again for listening, and let's keep being awesome.